I have been speaking in the last um, week or so about this matter of reigning with Christ. And uh, the problem I've had is how in the days that we have and the available time we have to cover at least what one feels to be the essentials of this matter of reigning with Christ. You remember that wonderful word in Luke 22 and verse 29, which is rendered in the New English Bible rather delicately. Um, now I vest in you the kingship which my father vested in me. Now I vest in you the kingship which my father vested in me. And we've been looking at some of the lives in which God has revealed and illustrated some of the lessons of kingship or overcoming or however you like to call it, reigning with Christ. We have looked at Abraham and seen something of the principle of the obedience of faith, that everything's got to be of God and there has got to be an obedience of faith. Absolute faith. We have seen Isaac um, and the lesson that he illustrates of overcoming life, just being a receiver, one who has received and passes on, overcoming, reigning. We've seen Jacob and the great lesson of deliverance, that there has to be a transforming by the renewing of our mind. We have seen Joseph. And we have seen that there has to be a fellowship of his sufferings if we are to come to the throne. Now, those four, in one sense, um, uh, represent one whole phase of God's dealing. I want to move on this morning in the little time that we have and just touch on another phase of God's dealing, Moses and Joshua. This morning, we had read to us Exodus 15. And really, it is all there. In chapter 15, verse 2, the Lord is my strength and song, and he is become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Verse 13, thou in thy loving kindness has led the people that thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength to thy holy habitation. habitation. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have taken hold on the inhabitants of Philistia. Verse 16. Terror and dread falleth upon them. By the greatness of thine arm, they are still as a stone. Till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over that thou hast pur purchased, thou wilt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Now, really, that sums up the whole of this phase of God's dealings with both as represented in the lives of Moses and Joshua in this matter of reigning with Christ. 
first delivered, redeemed, saved, and then brought in and planted in the place which thou hast made for thee to dwell in thy sanctuary, O Lord. Oh, what a wonderful thing it is to know the object of our salvation. It is interesting that in this song of Moses, he speaks of the Passover, not just being a getting out of Egypt, but a getting into the land. He speaks not merely about being delivered from the Egyptian, but being brought right through the wilderness and planted in the land, inheriting, coming to the place, the sanctuary of the Lord. Really, that's the twofold lesson we need to get hold of this morning in this matter of kingship. Uh, to understand exactly what it is that God has done with us and what is his objective in doing it. Moses, Moshe in Hebrew, means drawn out. Some have tried to say that it's an Egyptian, uh, old Egyptian name, which means son, but it's much more likely that it just means drawn out. And you know, dear child of God, if you are a child of God, that is written into your birthright. You've been drawn out. And the wonderful thing is this. He was drawn out of water. <laughs> dear, dear Moses was, had himself his own little exodus. <laughs> Only he was in a little bull rush. Remember Ark, as it were. Um... Uh, he was, he had his own exodus. It was in him. Before ever, he could be used to lead the people of God through the Red Sea, he had in his own experience, an experience of God that was written right into his very being. And that's one of the great lessons of kingship that you and I can never lead the people of God into anything until God does it first in us. We have to know something of the sovereignty of the Lord. We have to know something of the provision of the Lord. We have to know something of the deliverance of the Lord. We have to know something of the liberation, liberating power of the Lord. If we are to bring others out, if we are to see others delivered, if we're to see others saved, if we're to see others freed, do you understand? It's all part of this matter of uh, redemption. And what really is the lesson of Moses' life? I mean, now, taking Moses and not just the people, in actual fact, you will see all the way through Moses' life and experience an identification with his experience and the people's experience. There is no doubt to me that <clears throat> uh, Moses' whole life was determined by that tremendous encounter with the Lord when uh, he was about... 80 years of age. It is recorded, of course, in Exodus and chapter 3. 
I'll just read verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside now and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Verse 13, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Now to me, in this encounter of God with Moses, we have one of the greatest lessons in kingship that it is possible to learn. For really, that thorn bush was Moses, and the flame of fire was God. And what God was saying to Moses was this, until you, Moses, a dried up, dead old thorn bush, and I, the eternal fire, get together, nothing will be done. But once I get into you and become the flame of eternal fire in you, you become eternal fuel for eternal fire, then the purpose of God for the nation and for the nations will be fulfilled. It is a lesson we find very, very hard to learn. You don't normally go to a Bible college to get turned out a dried up old thorn bush. You don't go to a theological seminary to be turned out a dried up old thorn bush. You don't somehow or other start studying the Bible to become a dried up old thorn bush. It's a lesson we learn very hardly. It, it took the Lord 40 solid years to get Moses from thinking that he was some magnificent stately palm tree to where he recognized himself as a dried up dead old thorn bush to a penny in the desert. I often, as I've said to some of you before, I often used to wonder years ago why the Lord didn't appear in another way. Wouldn't it have been marvelous if it had been a stately palm tree? After all, there were quite a few palm trees in the Sinai wilderness. And if there, there'd be one of these magnificent straight palm trees with its great fronds out, and they're ablaze of fire. And as Moses came near, by the way, he wouldn't have even um, stopped for a while. He would have immediately, he saw it, he would have gone. Because it would have been a most unusual sight to see a palm tree on fire. And then God said majestically, Moses, looking down at him, Moses, don't you come any nearer. The ground whereon you stand is holy. And you know, everyone who knows a little bit about their Bible would be thrilled with the biblical typology. Because the palm tree is a symbol of holiness and righteousness and fruitfulness. And everyone would say, oh, how wonderful. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. And then they would have linked it with the law of God and the holiness of God and the truth of God and the righteousness of God and the glory of God. It would have been absolutely marvelous. But the Lord didn't do it. 
<laughs> and if he had chosen the acacia tree, the acacia tree is perhaps the most beautiful of the trees in the desert. Delicate and very beautiful. And I suppose the only real tree you have in the southern part of the wilderness of Sinai. And of course it is our Shittim tree of the authorized version. And think if God had got into the Shittim tree and that had blazed with fire and the and the tree hadn't been consumed. Oh, we Bible students would have had a whale of a time. We would have said, there you are, you see. What God was saying to Moses was, Moses, this is the tree out of which all the furniture of my dwelling place is going to be made. I'm the fire, and this is you. But God didn't choose the Shittim tree. Of course, we might have thought, although they do not exist in the, that part of the desert, we might have thought the Lord could have chosen a vine or an olive tree with all their spiritual um, significance and symbolism. But you see, God chose the commonest, ugliest, most worthless of all the vegetation of the desert. Even a camel, if it can find something else to eat, will turn up its nose <laughs> at a thorn bush. And God chose a thorn bush and got into a thorn bush. Now, I have never seen a thorn bush taller than myself. And even when you see one such big one, it is really quite magnificent. Most of them are really scrubby little things. And don't you see how amazing it was that there, close to the ground, close to the desert, some, not even a lovely green thorn bush, not a thorn bush flowering, but a thorn bush that had lived its life and died, its resources were drained, its energy was finished, it was a dried up, dead old thorn bush, and there God got into the thorn bush so that later Moses said, the grace of him that dwelt in the bush. He never called it a tree, he called it a bush. And God spoke up at Moses, as it were, and said, Moses, Moses! When Moses first saw that bush on fire, he undoubtedly uh, just took off one of those thorn bushes on fire. The sun's ignited it. Dead old thorn bush, gone up in smoke. And went on keeping his sheep. But about ten minutes later, when he turned around, he thought, well, that's some thorn bush. And went on looking after the sheep. But about half an hour later, he thought, I must turn aside to see this great sight. This is the biggest thorn bush in the whole desert. And so he came across, and then God spoke, not from above the thorn bush, not from around the thorn bush, but out of the midst of a common, ugly, worthless, dead thorn bush. What was God saying? God was saying, Moses, you thought because you were the son of Pharaoh's daughter, brought up in the royal house, you thought you were a palm tree. You are not. When first I got you out into this desert, you thought you were the Shittim tree, an acacia tree, something that I could win. But you are not. Before ever I can make you a palm tree, before ever I can make you the acacia tree, you must first learn that you are a thorn bush. I say that is the hardest lesson for believers to learn. Anyone who's coming to the throne has got to learn that they are nothing more than a dried up old thorn bush. They're a, we're two a penny. Perhaps you said you wanted to reign with Christ in some glorious convention. 
some great word came about authority, exercising authority in the name of the Lord. And you got so thrilled by it and so challenged by it. And when the appeal was given, you stood up and said, Yes, Lord, I want to exercise authority in thy name. And ever since then, everything's gone wrong. Everything's gone wrong. You thought you were a palm tree. You thought, ah, yes, now's a new day for me. I stood up. It's a new day beginning. It certainly was. Only not quite the new day you thought. <laughs> what God began to do is say, yes, yes, yes. But before ever you can reign with me, before ever you can exercise authority, you have got to come to the place where you know what you are naturally. But that's only the first lesson. God help us if we stay with what we are naturally. The second lesson is the flame of fire. For then if we know that God is the flame of fire, he is the glory, he is the power, he is the life, he is the light, he is everything. That's the second lesson. And the third lesson is that the dried up worthless thorn bush and the flame of fire have got to get together. And the amazing thing is this, the thorn bush remains the thorn bush and the fire remains fire. And that is really the lesson of kingship. You will never have it in yourself. It is always the Lord in you. It is the hardest lesson to learn. But Moses, you see, I remember years ago, puzzling and puzzling and puzzling over this unmentionable name of God. And I was never satisfied with those wonderful thoughts that were passed on to us by various preachers about the infinity of God. The, the fact that God has no beginning and no end, that he is infinite, that he's everywhere at the same time, that he knows everything. And they said, that's what I am, that I am means. He has no beginning, he has no end. He is all-powerful, almighty. He is everywhere at the same time. Everything consists by him. But somehow it never, it never, never satisfied me until a little old Irish evangelist rolled into this place, and that really is the only way to explain Johnny Cochran. He didn't walk, he rolled. <laughs> he had a stomach that was as large as his height. Oh, but what a lovely dear brother he was. Not so highly educated, but if you, some of you will remember, he preached one Sunday morning on I am that I am. And I thought to myself, whatever can he say about it? And he just said one thing that unlocked the whole matter for me. He said, you know, I think God was giving Moses a blank check. I am. Add what you need. Do you need love? I am love. Do you need power? 
I am power. Do you need grace? I am grace. Do you need uh, life? I am life. Do you need light? I am the light of the world. Then suddenly everything finds me. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. John later wrote, him, wrote this, God is light. God is love. Suddenly the whole thing fell into place. We're the thorn bush. God is the I am in us. And everything we need we can add to the I am. What a name. Now it's transformed. Of course God has no beginning and no end. Of course God is everywhere at the same time. Of course God knows everything. But that doesn't necessarily help me. I know nothing. Oh, what about I know God knows everything. I can't be everywhere at the same time. Sometimes I wish I could. But I can't be. <laughs> I am a little finite created bit of clay. I'm tied to one place. Sometimes I wish I had a hundred bodies to run around with. Then I expect I'd get into a greater mess than I am. <laughs> I don't find that it's so... I mean, to know that God, his majesty, his infinity, is something that makes me bow before him and makes me worship him. That I recognize absolutely, but it doesn't meet my need. But when I find that the I am that I am has vouchsafed to me everything that he is and says, I'll get into you, I'll be in you, I'll breathe through you, I'll love through you, I'll speak through you, I'll work through you, I will be everything in you. If only you will be a thorn bush, if only you will recognize that you're not even a living thorn bush, but a dried up dead old thorn bush, you let me get into you, I'll do the work. And through you, the, the two of us together, the flame of fire in the thorn bush will see the purpose of God fulfilled, will see nations touched, will see his will done on earth as it is in heaven, will see his kingdom, my kingdom coming. It's a great lesson. It's a great lesson. Kingship. Of course, Israel had to learn it too. They also knew what it was to be drawn out of e Egypt. Moses' name means drawn out. Israel was drawn out of Egypt. Redeemed with so great a redemption. And you know, the wonderful thing is this, about this being drawn out of Egypt, is that God immediately began to teach what he had taught Moses, now he began to teach them. They couldn't get across that Red Sea. <laughs> they just couldn't get across. God had to do it. Moses stood there with a little rod and lifted it and spoke a few words and the east wind blew and the sea was piled up. And they went across as on dry ground. And what was their deliverance became the destruction of the Egyptian host. Oh, it is really amazing, isn't it? God began to teach those people they couldn't save themselves. Poor things, they were no sooner had they eaten the Passover lamb and the angel of death had passed over them 
then they had their first big problem. They couldn't get across the sea, and only the Lord could do it. But no sooner were they at the other side than they had the next great problem. They had no water. They came to a place where the water was brackish, and they couldn't drink. It would only make them more thirsty than ever. And then they began to grumble and moan. And then a tree thrown in, and sweet water. It was the Lord, Christ crucified. And later on, it was water out of the rock, Christ crucified. And it was manna miraculously provided six days out of seven and on the sixth day two portions and then it was a pillar of cloud and fire have you ever heard of anything like it they had no committees they had no councils no great sessions of all shall we go this way shall we go that way shall we go this what thing what do you think so and so thinks this so and so thinks that so and so thinks from this of um, past history we should do this so and so no not at all the Lord was their guidance as soon as they saw him moving they packed up the tent and were on the move the Lord was everything all the way through 40 years in the wilderness he was everything see what he taught Moses he now taught them it is a wonderful lesson this matter of kingship as we see it in the life of Moses and there's a lot more I could say about Moses. I could talk about his, intercess, his intercession. What a wonderful word it was in Exodus 32 and verse 32 when he said uh, to them, Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. This wasn't the old Moses. This was a new Moses. And this was a new Moses in whom the Lord was everything and the Spirit of Christ in him exhibited the very same nature that later the Lord Jesus was to express when he laid down his life for us all. That is kingship. No self-glory, no self-ambition, no self-interest. No pomp and show. No, I'm here. I've got this title. I've got this status. I've got this background. No. It is service. True service. This kind of king exists for the people. Of course, we could go on saying much more about Levi, but let's just say something about Joshua. For when we come to Joshua, we have the second... Uh, part of the of the story and I think most of you know that Joshua uh, is the Hebrew um, for the Greek Jesus I think you all know that it's the Old Testament form of Jesus the Lord is salvation and the wonderful thing about Joshua is that he illustrates the other side of the coin. Now then, have you learnt that the Lord is your salvation? Not that he gives salvation, not only that he saves, but he is your salvation. You've learnt that you're nothing, and that God is everything, and that the two of you together, now you must go in and inherit. And that's the great lesson of Joshua. You must go over and you must possess your possessions. You must inherit your inheritance. You must go in by faith, using the soles of your feet, and take what is yours. And dear child of God, all this business about whether there's a second experience, or whether there's a second blessing, or whether there's a baptism of the Spirit, or whether there's a whatever else, 
My dear friend, it's solved in my estimation in just this one simple thing that of course the Lord has given you everything, but unless you go in and possess, you will not experience it. You've got to go in and possess. For the Lord said in Joshua and chapter 1 and verse 3, Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, to you have I given it as I spake unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your border. Now it's the soles of your feet that matter. You see, you can start to say, ah, thank God, all I am is an old dried up thorn bush. <coughs> and then you say, yes, and the Lord is everything. And you know, there are people who say that and they haven't got much. And naturally, we who are perhaps a little more critical at times wonder, well, why do they all the time say they've got everything when they're so dreary? I mean, these people who say, I've got everything in the law. I don't need any more. I've got everything. But they're so dreary. Their lives are so colorless. They're so drab. They're so unoriginal. There doesn't seem to be. You don't touch the Lord in them. What's wrong? I'm not asking for all just emotion and excitement and all that kind of thing. But what I mean is this, that it's not good enough to learn the lesson that the Lord is everything and that you are nothing. Now the Lord in you has got to go forward. And you've got to put the sole of your foot down. You'll never get across the Jordan this time. Isn't it interesting? The time before it was a little rod. This time it was feet. Feet had to get wet. My dear friend, have, have you got your feet wet yet? Some people have got over the, the Red Sea, but they haven't got their feet wet in Jordan. But until you put your soles of your feet down, the water will never pile up at Adam. But once you put the soles of your feet down, then that which God has done in Christ, in crucifying your old man, in putting away the old man, in uh, abolishing, as it were, the old Adam, until you put your feet down, it cannot be made real in your life. You cannot know the Ark of the Covenant and all its glory and power. You cannot know the walls of Jericho coming down. You cannot know what it is to say with Joshua, Give me this mountain! It says in Hebrews and chapter 6 and verse 12 that ye be not sluggish but imitators of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith and patience inheriting the promises. At the beginning when they put their feet down in the river Jordan they didn't need too much patience. Because the moment the soles of their feet went down onto the riverbed, the water piled up at Adam, now the Damia Bridge, piled up at Adam and they went over. But they needed a bit of patience when they came to Jericho. I mean, you can just hear the legalists, can't you? Now look here, Joshua, you've got this whole thing wrong. You're going back, you're going back on the Lord. It only needed that the Lord said every place that the sole of your foot treads upon, that will I give you. And all we had to do was put the soles of our feet down and the water was immediately cut off. Now what's all this about going around 
once a day for six days and seven times on the seventh day in the heat of Jericho. You must be crazy. Lowest place down on the earth. How awful to go round and round Jericho. I couldn't bear it. Round and round Jericho. Once a day, that's bad enough for six days, but seven times on the seventh day. I think this is just unbelief. I think we could get this thing settled in an instant if we had enough faith. Blow the trumpets, put our feet down, blow the trumpets and see the walls come down. But there are times when it takes a good deal more than one putting of the sole of your foot down to see the Lord act. You have to have faith and patience. And then you inherit the promise. Now what does Joshua teach us? Joshua just teaches us this one simple lesson that once we know what it is to be saved and once we've begun to learn the lesson that we are nothing and God is everything and it is a union between God and us that is the key to it all, then we must go over the Jordan and possess the promises of God. We shall never see the house of God built in the desert. We shall never see the purpose of God fulfilled in 40 years of going around. But isn't it true, dear friends, that much of our church life is just an endless going round a wilderness? Not for 40 years, but 400. Round and round and always knowing the Lord, never possessing. Isn't it true of your life and my life that many of us are ever learning and never coming to a knowledge of the truth? We learn and we learn and we learn but we never possess. And our great need from the life of Joshua is this that if you and I are going to come to the throne we have to learn to possess and you do it with the soles of your feet. Figuratively speaking. There is another matter. And I will just mention it. There's two things. I will just leave them with you. One is this. Joshua and Caleb. Possessed the land. Because they were of another spirit. That you and I could ponder on for a long, long time. For the key to possessing our inheritance is the gracious ministry of the Holy Spirit. Captain of the Lord's host, angel of his presence. Oh, dear child of God, don't be afraid of the person of the Holy Spirit. Don't be put off by what is excessive, extreme, or false. But don't be put off or by that. But neither, on the other hand, somehow other just feel that the Holy Spirit is some agent, 
It's amazing to me how the people of God, they give a place to the Father and they give a place to the Son and they give hardly any place to the Holy Spirit as if the Spirit of God is some impersonal agent that just does things, you know, almost without a being a person. But it is the person of the Father and the person of the Lord Jesus and the person of the Holy Spirit. You grieve the Holy Spirit when you treat him as a thing, as an it. Another spirit. You see, no one can have real faith without the Spirit of God. Those spies, when they went into the land, ten of them came back. They just did have no faith. They had no faith at all. They said, we can't do it, we can't do it. It's a beautiful land, flowing with milk and honey, but it's fortified to the heavens. The people are like giants. We can't do it. But two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, We are well able. For if the Lord is with us, we shall inherit. Because they were of another spirit. There is one other thing about this matter of Joshua, and it's an uncomfortable one. It's Achan. Because where there is sin, there will be a paralyzing of any inheritance. And you can't bury it. Achan stole things, poor man. He stole things. And then he buried them in his tent. Isn't it silly? Isn't sin a stupidity. He took those things and he couldn't wear them. He couldn't sell them. They were beautiful Babylonian garments, shekels, money. He could never do anything with it. Many of us do that kind of thing. We fall into sin and then we bury it. There's no satisfaction. There's no fulfillment. There's only an awful sense of living a facade, of being a hypocrite. But don't think because you buried it out of your sight, it is out of the sight of God. For God sees what is buried in every home. It's buried, but God sees it. And sooner or later, your whole life will hinge upon that matter being settled. So it was with Achan. And that's why one of the prophets calls the valley of Achor a door of hope. Thank God there is someone else who was stoned to death for us. But the principle is still the same that if we have sinned or fallen to sin and there is something buried in our lives or in our family circumstances or home, that thing until it comes out into the light and is judged and put away by the finished work of Christ, by the blood of the Lamb, will effectively stop you from entering in and will stop the people of God from entering in. So we learn the lesson of Joshua and Moses. 
in this whole matter of kingship. Our God has vested in you and in me, the, the Lord Jesus has vested in you <coughs> and me, the kingship which his Father vested in him. He said to him that overcomes, will I grant to sit down with me in my throne even as I also overcame and sat down with my Father in his throne. May the Lord help us. I am quite sure that there's so much for us to possess. There is a fullness in Christ for many of us to possess. There is an anointing of the Holy Spirit that many of us need to possess. There is a ministry, whatever it is, that we need to possess. There is a functioning in the body of Christ which we need to possess. There are enemies that we need to put our feet down upon their necks and see them destroyed. There are areas that need to be brought under the domain of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, there are so many things we need to possess, are there not? Things personal, things family, things to do with us locally, things to do with the people of God nationally and in the whole world. Oh, if God could bring us to the place where we know something of reigning with Christ. It would be a new chapter. Learn the lesson of Moses. Learn the lesson of Joshua. And then we shall know something of entering in and possessing what the Lord has so dearly won for us. Shall we pray? <coughs> Father, thou knowest every life here. There's nothing hid from thee. Thou knowest, Lord, <clears throat> all the various things in our lives that hold us up. Sometimes, Lord, it's just simply ignorance. We just didn't know, Lord, we had to possess anything. Other times, Lord, it's unbelief. We just feel that somehow we are so unworthy and so insignificant that, Lord, we could never possess anything. But, Lord, wilt thou teach us? Wilt thou teach us, Lord, this day that this has been won for us? And wilt thou help us to learn the lesson of Moses and the lesson of Joshua? And, Lord, if there's sin in our lives, like Achan's sin, buried, some skeleton in the cupboard, help us, Lord, to get it dealt with, out in the open, settled, put away, that the valley of Achan may become a door of hope. O oh, Father, hear us, we pray, as together now we give ourselves to thee with thanksgiving in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.